Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And bringing back a special guest, we got totally offside from the Leafs Nation and Twitter. Uh, what's up? I probably would have said back by popular demand, but <laughs> Very popular man of one of our very dedicated <laughs> listeners who seems to request him each week. Um, we, I, look, I, I, gotta, I gotta give the listeners what they want. <laughs> the listeners I mean. <laughs> we got a bunch of news. We obviously have a big thing in Nylander signing, but we're going to start with a little bit of smaller stuff first. Uh, we're going to start with Carolina. Valentin. Valentin Zykov. Valentin Zykov. Yeah. And Scott Darling were placed on waivers. Uh, we'll start with the one that got claimed. Zykov went to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on just him as a player? Good for Edmonton, I, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm surprised that Chiarelli made a smart move. <laughs> um, it's it's very low risk. Cause, like in, in his extremely small sample size, he looks at least fine, at least like an NHL player, and there's not... I can't say that about everyone on Edmonton's roster, so it's, it's <laughs> a good move. Right? He's, he's cheap. He's like six hundred grand or something like that, leading men. So I, I don't really know why Carolina waived him, and I, I definitely don't. I'm very shocked that Edmonton claimed him. Yeah, that was pretty much my opinion on it, too. I mean, he had 30-something goals in the AHL last year, so there's definitely talent there. And I think Carolina thought he was, he was struggling to find the back of the net a bit this year, but, I mean, he's a 23-year-old who just potted 30 in the in, in the AHL. AHL. That's not someone you should just be placing on waivers, but... Yeah. And yeah. it's not even like he's one of these smaller prospecty guys that, like uh, like Seth Griffith or something like that where everyone's like, oh, but does he have the size to make it in the NHL? It's like he's like 6'3". I, I, I honestly don't understand how not more teams didn't put in a claim on him um, because Edmonton's definitely not the lowest in the, the waiver order. So it's weird. Um, that good for Edmonton, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I thought I thought L.A., Ottawa couple other teams probably should have put in a claim before that, but, I mean, for different reasons, I guess they didn't. Yeah, I guess so. Different... I don't see why any team wouldn't take a shot on them. No, exactly. And, I mean, I guess for some teams they think that their bottom of the lineup's fine, but if you're the 30th place team, the odds are that you could probably use an improvement, and a cheap guy like just, that's a great way to do it. But... Yeah, just to shake things up, if anything. If you're the Kings, there's probably several players I wouldn't mind leaving right now, even if yeah. I didn't know one to pick up. So it's like, why not just take a, just take a chance on a guy that had NHL success and in limited NHL success looks okay? Uh, what's the worst that could happen? You have to leave him again, and you've lost nothing. But I think venture nothing gained, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we'll go with this other one now. Uh, Scott Darling. So he cleared... Because he has, he is on year two of a four-year deal, and that four-year deal sees him get paid it's like four point oh five. Yeah, or that's in the AHL. Yeah, be lower. Over four million per year, pretty much in the NHL. In the AHL, it's about three million buried. I'm not so worried about Scott Darling because I think everyone knows he struggled. But both of you guys being Leaf fans, what I want to know is, do you think he comes back up later this year? So, Curtis McElhaney beat him <laughs> out for a job with a very hot streak of about five or six games where he posted a 930. Do you think that Mrazek and McElhaney will be able to be a tandem good enough that Scott Darling stays in the AHL all year? I think Scott Darling probably stays in the NHL. Um, I perfectly kind of think he blows, but that's <laughs> kind of not the reason why I think he's going to stay in the NHL. I, I don't think that ownership Tom, Tom Dundon namely um, much cared for that decision in the first place um, like I don't, I don't necessarily think Ron, that was his favorite move by Ron Francis so I think it's more of a situation of okay like this isn't this isn't my guy this isn't the, the person I want as the long-term option and when you have him up there's always going to be pressure to kind of use him as the starter Whereas with uh, McElhaney and Mrazek, it's everyone kind of knows that those are not long-term solutions. So I think it might be a situation where they just leave those guys up and leave Darling in, in the minors. Um, if anything, just because now he's already waived, and if you can find some team that doesn't think he sucks, then you can maybe get something back for him if you're willing to retain a bit. Um, right now they've got like 1.1 buried, so they're only paying $3 million off of it instead of 4 I'm sure that also has something to do with it. 
because it sounds like they don't want to waive either Mrazek or McElhaney. So uh, there's not much more salary they could retain because otherwise they're just holding three goalies anyway, which means that they've got one of McElhaney's or Mrazek's contracts just sitting in the press box. So they probably saved as much money as they could by doing this. And by having him be waived, you might find a team entering into the playoffs that would be willing to take a flyer on him just to say, hey, I'll retain a million, you guys take three, and he's at the very worst a backup. I think he could be a fine backup. Um, I think it was probably a little premature to, to give him a big contract and, and really pay him on it. Um, a lot of people have compared it to the, the risk that the Leafs took on Freddie Anderson, but Freddie Anderson was essentially playing as uh, a platoon situation. He was generally playing like 40 games in a season, whereas Darling did that once, but he was in, in Chicago pretty much playing as the backup to Corey Crawford before that. So I don't know that I would have taken the risk that they took on it, what they paid and what they gave up, but what can you do? Um, you got to take a risk, I suppose, at some point. I, I don't know that it was the right one, but if I had to guess, I'd say they just run the guys they have, for now at least, um, and maybe at the end of the season they see him again. But I, I think they would rather just keep his waiver status intact and get him gone. Yeah, I definitely think that's fair as well. Um, I just say the big thing is, like, I understand, and I honestly thought it was a fine move. It was better than, to me, it was better to try and find someone who you thought was a good backup and could be a good starter than just keep playing Cam Ward for 50 games a season, which is what they were doing for the previous four years. I think there's more than just those options, though. Yeah, I think there was probably a few more that you could have targeted, because, I mean, if you look at back in Chicago, he played 14 games and five playoff games. He played 29 games and 32 games. None of that is even relatively close to what a starter's workload is supposed to be. No. So, I mean, I get they were trying to look for, uh, you know, Martin Jones or a Cam Talbot, I guess, of sorts. But, like, you should have probably wanted a bit bigger of a sample size before giving him a big four-year deal like that. But, yeah, I just say... Yeah, I mean, that, that, that can go either way, right? Like, you for for every... Like, like, the, like Martin Jones is not even idea of a great starter but let's let's say he did play well like how many times do people try to turn the backup on a good team into a starter and it just nothing it doesn't work at all and then other times you, you find out that that player is as good as the the goalie that they were behind or or better than the goalie that they were behind so it's 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 definitely a risk but i feel like i maybe would have taken a risk on a goalie that i didn't have to give four years to because you weren't necessarily sure what Darling was. Like, if they could have grabbed Steve Mason or something, who's not even in the league right now, if that had just gone belly up, um, then they'd already be done with it. Yeah. If they could move on to something else, and I don't think that there was any reason to believe that he was less likely to succeed than Scott Darling. So I feel like they could, there were other things they could have done at the time. They they shot their shot, and it just it didn't work, and now they're just hoping to God that the fact that he's being waived now and another team wouldn't have to worry about losing him for waivers, that they could convince somebody to ignore the fact that he's got one more year on his deal and just pick him up as like a goalie insurance for the playoffs. Yeah, like if I'm Philly or something like that, I'd probably take a look. Yeah, like, I don't know. If I'm Philly, I'm probably taking a look at Carter Hart in a couple months. True. Or I'm being honest. St. Louis, maybe. Yeah, but... I've heard that stats been in the NHL. Brutal. Yeah, I've heard he's not. He's still getting used to the new angles and stuff like that, and just better players, obviously, than the WHL. But I mean, goalies, it could just be noise too. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm I'm sure he'll find his game within a couple months, and maybe maybe the right idea isn't to rush him right up to the NHL. But at the same time, I'm also not a huge believer in. As long as you're not letting him just get absolutely killed by a horrible defensive team, that it won't kill his confidence, probably. But, yeah, I guess it all depends where they are come postseason or, or near the end of the season and what they do. Yeah. But yeah. If they're totally out of it, it seems pointless to even yeah. try it. Yeah, totally agree. Um, From there, let's go to the big trade of the week. Uh, so the Arizona Coyotes and Chicago Blackhawks pulled off what seems like the hundredth trade between those two teams <laughs> in the past two seasons. Dylan Strome and Brandon Perlini went to the Chicago Blackhawks for Nick Schmaltz in return. Um, what was your general opinion on this? Confusion. Yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting trade. I. So I don't know. I kind of. So I looked at it and I do understand it from 
both sides. Yep. I think that Arizona is risking more, but at the same time, I think they definitely got the safer player in the trade. Yeah. So oh, really? I, I don't think I think they risk less, but I, I'd love to hear why you think they risk more. Well, I just think that they risk more in the fact that I still don't think Strom is a bust by any means. I think he could be at least a, a good NHLer. Like I'm not saying that he's going to be an elite NHLer, but I think he still has the potential to be very good. And same with Brandon Perlini. He had like he was a guy that I did really enjoy on Arizona. And I don't know, I just think that those two guys both have potential to come back and burn them for being maybe much better than some people expected right now. But at the same time, I guess you look at it as a risk from Chicago as, you know, they both those players could pretty much be a bust or third-line players, and you just gave up Nick Schmaltz, who's a 2C at this point in his career. So, I don't know, but for me, Arizona needs to have the talent to try and start winning now. Whereas Chicago, let's say both those players bust, well, it just means they can rebuild sooner, right? Like, that's yeah. true. It's not like Chicago, if both Brandon or uh, sorry, Strom and uh, Perlini flame out, it's not like they're screwed because of it. It just means that they can sell off and start rebuilding because that's what they're going to have to do probably anyways. Yeah, they're probably going to have to do that no matter what. So I don't know. Like I thought I I understand it from both ways. Arizona needs legit NHL players that are going to contribute and you know what they are. At the same time, I think it does have the potential to be a, a big win for the Hawks if those guys reach their potential, which obviously they might not, but at the same time there is a potential there. Yeah, for me the reason why I I, I think I like it better for Arizona, though I I definitely understand why Chicago would do it and I don't, I don't blame them for doing it at all is that it's finding a top six center is very difficult to do and you're bringing one in that you know for a fact is so to me it's that's that's where I get get it at being fairly safe is that if Dylan Strom was to turn into a top six center at this point they would have been happy with that so to be able to say okay well we're taking a maybe and we're replacing it with a guarantee um, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, Brandon Perlini is definitely um, a nice add-on for Chicago, but I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a first-line winger either. So to me, it was like they they traded away a surefire top-six guy for two guys with a higher ceiling but a much lower floor. I don't think that there's, there's going to be a situation where Schmaltz is not going to continue to perform as he's performed or near it, whereas... I could see them hitting a complete home run with Strom, or I could see them getting completely struck out and he just flames out of the league completely because his skating is really, really bad. And that is something that the NHL has just has has not been forgiving with of players in the last few years is players that can't skate very well. You don't necessarily have to skate fast. Like Mitch Marner's not a particularly fast skater, but he's an amazing skater because his edge work is great. He's able to turn on a dime. And that's just not something you see in Strom really at all. And, and you never saw it. it was never part of his game. That was the main reason why I wanted Marner over Strom when the Leafs actually drafted Marner. And luckily the, the decision was made for them. But the the whole Strom situation to me was just very tenuous because I think it's just as likely that he becomes a top a top uh, line player as it is that he just is not even the league in two years so it's tough to say but i i think it more or less it was even the arizona was getting a player today and then chicago was getting a chance at two players that could maybe be slightly better than the player they gave up but i get why both teams did it because arizona doesn't need to take the risk on players like that right now because they're trying to improve today and the players that they have are are kind of good enough to compete in in the next little window here, or at least start to be a, a team that's that's measurably better than the one that they've been. Whereas Chicago, like you said, if they don't get a home run on some cheap players on ELCs, then they're they're done regardless. So having Schmaltz in the lineup, but they're still just languishing and having to rebuild doesn't help them at all. So uh, they moved a player that was was good and was good for them, and and they definitely gave up the best player as of today in exchange for a chance at a player that might be better and cheaper. But if they don't get that, then they're just rebuilding, and that's what they were going to have to do regardless. So I don't think it's really high risk for them, but I, I think the likelihood of reward is also less. 
Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. Yeah, me too. I will say I don't think very highly of Brandon Perlini. No? I am as one of, like, the worst players oh, in the NHL. I thought, for some reason, I thought that he had really good underlying. No, like, he scores goals, and that is literally it. Huh. Interesting. Like, he just gets... He's, he looks nice on the ice. He's, like, a nice nice to watch, but I don't know. It's He's, he's far from a sure bet. Yeah. And, like, all of his underlying numbers. Oh, Actually, they're not terrible this year, but... Up until this year, they have been pretty game, god awful. Game score in the twenty second percentile is not what you ever like to see. Yeah, when you're that's a, up a replacement level forward right there. Yeah, I mean he does one thing well. Yeah, he scores, that's, that's which, shoot, is, yeah, nice, which is a valuable it's, thing. It's the but thing I, yeah, you want him to do well. Yeah, yeah. I guess that yeah, it's not like he's gonna be the game breaker for you. Yeah, I don't know. I I understand it. I think from both sides, Chicago, there's definitely risk, but I think the risk doesn't affect them as much and. As you said, Arizona needs good NHL players yeah. to start winning now, and they got that in Schmaltz, I think. So, um, and uh, what I would say, and it's you, you never really want to like appeal to authority, and I'm not, I'm not really doing that to a sense that I'm not saying I necessarily believe them, but I don't think Arizona moves on from Strom if they don't think he won't succeed there. Like if they if they think that Strom legitimately still has the ability to become a first line center, I don't think there's a chance in hell that they would move him out. Um, so it, maybe he he proves them wrong and he turns into something else elsewhere. But if your organization doesn't think a player is good, the likelihood of them succeeding within your organization goes down substantially because your your coach isn't going to give them time, your GM's not going to put them in opportunities that they will be able to succeed in. So. You might as well almost just move them out and, and try to get as much value as possible and just make a good trade. And then if you if he does end up being better somewhere else, hey, it's, you can always hold your hat on. He probably wouldn't have done it here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, I think you just look over the past couple seasons and like there were some tanking teams that Strom should have been up trying to get some NHL minutes on and they had him in the AHL in the past year. So yeah. it's like, why is he not on an NHL roster? So I yeah, I definitely don't think that they see Strom as a great player going forward. I think they probably think they absolutely got the best player now and going forward. So fair enough to him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of think to myself, like if he had not gone third overall, would anyone even be saying that this was a win for Chicago? Like if, if he had gone 40th, would we be like, oh man, I can't believe they are giving up on Strom. Like look at him. Like he, he did just... just a player that... Did a two A did two, did two seasons in the in the minors and then came to the AHL and looked really good and then we he he would probably be one of those guys that like a Seth Griffith who were like oh like wait until you see like his numbers in the AHL are really good and then we don't see him do anything at the NHL level and we're like okay well maybe he's good maybe he's not I think it's just the fact that he had so much pedigree that everyone's just there's been a real push for people to say, like, oh, I can't believe that, that uh, Arizona would even do this. Like, what are they thinking? What's what's uh, Cheka thinking? But I think if, it, if the Strom name didn't have cachet, we wouldn't say that. I think it helps. It I mean, helps. He, he did have a point-per-game season in the AHL, so I think anytime someone does that, you're going to turn some heads. But, yeah, it definitely being third, like, if he's a second-round pick, I think the, mm-hmm. the thing on him does swing a little bit to the point where it's like, okay, like, you did give up a guy with some potential, clearly, but it was a second-round pick, this, right? Because Kasperi Kapanen was a point per game in the in the AHL too, and before this season, like obviously this season has gone up. His pedigree, his uh, his status has kind of raised a lot in in fans' eyes just because of how well he did with Matthews and then Kadri. But let's say before this season, when Ka- when Kapanen was just kind of considered like a middling prospect or like a pretty good prospect, if the Leafs had traded him. Connor Brown for a second line center. Would anyone have been like, "Oh, Leafs, what are you doing?" Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that's that's the thing with the the switch in where they were drafted, right? It's like I, I do think the third overall pick adds. He was the same value. age when he had his point per game season in the AHL too. <laughs> yeah, like it's 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 definitely a good sign, and it's the kind of guy that you you would want. Like you would never say, "Oh man, like I got this guy point per game in the AHL. Like what am I going to do with him? He's not going to turn anything into anything." Can expect he's probably going to have NHL success, but how 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 much you expect it to be and how high you expect him to play in your lineup is oftentimes depending on like what you thought of them before that even happened, and, and people thought Strom was going to be a superstar. So when he puts up numbers like that in the in the AHL, though, you're like, wow, see, he's obviously just not getting the opportunity. He's going to be a superstar. 
Whereas if you see a guy like Kapanen do it, you're like, okay, yeah, like he's probably a little bit better than we thought. Good, he's probably like a middle six guy, which is that's like a night and day situation where we're looking at the guys. And I think it's it's very much decided on way before they they ever play for your organization, just where you took them. Yeah, definitely agree. All right, that's enough talking about the Arizona Coyotes. I don't think anyone cares that much. Um, this is an Arizona Coyotes podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go on to that guy who signed last night. Who's that? I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I think um, it's well, the, 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 the Sen signed Justin Falk. That's a pretty right. good <laughs> That is what uh, we're going for. We'll go with William Nylander. Um so it broke. He had a 5 p.m. deadline on Saturday night. It broke. Uh, they put the trade through at 4:55, and it broke at about 4:59 on Twitter or 4:57 on Twitter. Yeah. So he signed. Dragger. Yeah, Dragger too. I was all people. I, I was impressed by that. Shocking. I know. Yeah, I was like, oh, Dragger, if this is right, all is forgiven. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say all. Some is forgiven. Um, so yeah, so he signs a six-year deal with a average cap hit of in years two to six of six point nine million dollars. Nice, very nice. Uh, this sixty-nine, sixty-nine, isn't it? <laughs> no, they modified it. The original thing oh, was sixty-nine, seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This That's year funny. he carries a cap hit of ten point two. Um, is that just because of just He's missed the, 30% of the yeah? Year, so so yeah. It, there's a percentage. They still paid him the money. Yeah. 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 So okay. his six. The, the calculations are all over the place, and people are like trying to wrap their head around it. And be like, wait, so they're really paying him seven point three? It's like, no, it's not. That's not what the Leafs are actually paying in the no. pocket, nor is it what he's getting in his pocket. It's just the calculation because he's missed thirty percent of the season, so it gets extrapolated backwards. Like, don't worry about that. It's just the really all that matters, quite frankly, because the Leafs have so much cap room. Like right now, is years two to six. They're going to be paying him 6.97. Which is a very good deal. Um, very. It's, it's fine, yeah. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's great, but it's definitely above average. It's it's a good, it's 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 a deal I would sign 100% of the time. Yeah, well, and I mean, so I saw some people, well, obviously there's some people complaining about it because people are going to complain about everything. But the thing that I like a lot is it's less percentage of cap than David Pasternak's was at the time as well. Yeah. So even the $6.9 million, much, yeah. it's not by much, but it's still around the same. And we're now looking at Pasternak's as, wow, this is one of the best deals in the NHL. And maybe, like, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to get into a debate about Pasternak versus Nylander, but I, you can say that they are at least somewhat near the same level for wingers. Yeah. And I think we look at this, we could look at this deal in two years as, kind of the exact same thing where it's like wow this is a really solid deal like i think the second the cap hit drops from 10 million to 6.9 you should think of it as an amazing deal yeah like i just i don't know i loved it when it came out and i mean good for nylander too he held out and the rumor was that the leafs weren't budging off a six for a while so he got an extra you know six million dollars over the total contract pretty much so, yeah, I, I guess, but I, I, I have to think realistically that was because he wasn't budging off of his rumored 8.5, and it's like there's no point in the Leafs moving up if he's still at that number because like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come up to seven and then split the difference at 7.7 or something like that. So it's like if you're if yeah. you're gonna be if you're gonna be demanding uh like Drysaddle's contract, then I'm not gonna move at all until you budge a little bit. So I, I imagine that was bluster. Um, when I wrote my my, uh, my piece for TLN about Tavares and how I thought that they should pursue him last summer, I had penciled in Elander at 6.75. So that's kind of what I had in my head of like, okay, how much less or more can they get him for than that? And that's how I was more or less gauging it, how good I thought the deal was. So this was definitely in the range that I was like, yeah, I'm totally good with this deal. But anything under seven really times six, I would have been fine with. But um, I think they had to kind of keep him under that or else it would have looked like an absolute home run for, for Nylander. And ultimately, I think he did do pretty well. I think he probably got himself an extra couple hundred grand um, on every year just for waiting around for two months. So um, I think we probably see more RFAs do that as a result. Some of them might look at this situation and say, you know what, that's not worth it for a couple hundred extra grand that I have to sit out and have my name kind of be dragged through the mud by the media. But it's tangible it's like it's you're talking about over half a million across the life of the contract probably closer to a million dollars so it's it, it, he was successful in doing this and i, I think ultimately lewis gross is proven um somewhat correct to have taken this stance 
Yeah, like it's <laughs> Lewis Groves definitely is probably the biggest winner here. Absolutely, hundred percent. Like he just made such a big name for himself that he will stand up to the teams or whatever for the players, and now he looks great because Nylander got. And he could have looked awful if if Nylander had not gotten a deal. Oh yeah, he, I I think he'd have been canned first of all, and the other players that are represented by him would have taken a hard look at his representation had he not gotten this deal done. Because it would have been the vast majority of people would have blamed him for it uh, because they would have said, hey, you played chicken with the GM and you lost and you should have known you didn't have any leverage and you basically used the only thing that you could, which was the, the player's abilities to drive up the value and it didn't work. But in this, I would say it worked. It didn't work insanely well. Like it, he got nowhere near the, the value he was looking for reportedly, but it, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars in Nylander's pocket now that he wasn't going to have otherwise every year so you can't you can't really knock it it, it definitely had an, an impact on the negotiation what I would say before we kind of move off the pasture act talk though is that what I was a little bit disappointed about in, in having to give him close to the same percentage is that pasture act gave up two UFA years and Nylander's only yeah. going to give up one UFA year and I get that that's because like with with how they when they started and how many games they played in their first seasons, they, it just meant that um, Pasternak was became, becoming a UFA earlier, which is why he gave up more UFA years. But ultimately, you've got to try to get as much UFA term as you can. And you look at Ehlers, they got, uh, I think they got three UFA years, maybe, maybe two, but it, I think it was three. Because uh, they get assigned a seven-year deal, passing act, they got two UFA years. The Leafs only got one, so you have to take that into account when you're looking at the percentage of cap. Because part of that percentage takes into account that you're buying years that they could have auctioned off to the highest bidder, and instead they're just giving them to you. The the five years that are RFA were the Leafs, basically. Like if the Leafs had offered him a five-year deal, I think he would have signed for even less because ultimately he could have just gone off anywhere after that. But it's it's tricky situation. There's obviously a lot of things at play. Um, I like the deal. I think it's good, uh, but I think there's also been uh, because we had to wait so long and everyone's so happy. Obviously, as as am I, of course, that he's back in the lineup and he's a great player and we need him and and no way did I want them to trade him. But because of that, I think lots of people have kind of leaned on the oh this is like a home run deal. There's no, like nothing wrong with this. Like don't even talk to me about this. But Ultimately, I think it's kind of a split difference deal. It's it's fair. Six times six point nine is is very fair. Uh, it's I think they were trying to get a bargain, and Nylander was trying to knock it out of the park. And I don't think either side got what they wanted. They both they got a, they had to settle for a fair deal, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I I think we have to be careful with how we talk about this as being like a universal win for the Leafs because I think that the number they would have been much more comfortable with would have been the raw number for Pasternak, not the percentage of cap. That's fair. But what I would say is like a fair for both sides RFA deal is like almost by definition a home run for the team. Yeah, I would. that's what I was going to say too. That I think just because of how the RFA system is set up, like it's not, it's, it's a fair deal, but in the sense that, uh, like I'd say it's a very good deal in just the raw numbers, but it would it's a fair deal when you look at comparables. Because like yeah, if, exactly. if, yeah like yeah. If, you, if you're using comparables, then yeah, you could have probably wished that you got a couple like half a million less or whatever. But at the same time, like I don't see a way unless Nylander just has a, a career threatening injury. I don't see a way yeah. he's less yeah. than six point nine million dollars yeah. in worth. And I don't so. even think that was in the cards. Half a million less, quite frankly. Uh, like I, I, I was constantly arguing that the Ehlers comp was a good comp, and I, I will to my grave, but. I wasn't arguing that they should offer him that money because there is a difference. Like, like the cap went up way, way more than anyone expected it to, and, and that has that has played a major impact. That's the major driver, I think, in, in all of this talk ongoing about, oh, what's Marner going to make, what's Matthews going to make, is the cap went up significantly. We were this time last year before Vegas came into the league, or I guess even two months prior to this time last year, but... We were talking, hey, this could be flat cap. Like, if this is, it's been not good revenue for the league the last couple of years, and we could be looking at a situation where there's no movement at all. So, if you sign a deal expecting there to be no cap inflation, and then there's cap inflation of like six percent, that's huge. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a massive difference. So, I understand why someone would say, I'm not signing a deal around where Pasternak or uh, 
um, or Ehlers signed, unless you're looking at it as a percentage, because ultimately the cap went up way more. I have so much more information than those guys did. But in my head, I kind of said, okay, 6.75 is about where I think it probably could land in the six-year deal. And it was I came in at about 150000 over that, which is totally fine. Great. It's a good, great deal. Um, but if, I, if you're looking at it as a bargain, I don't think it's a bargain because of what the, the comparable players in the league got. But I do think it's what you had to pay to get him, and I, that's fine. I'm totally fine with that logic. It's you can, you shouldn't let him sit out over 150 grand. No, I definitely agree. Um, Sitting, letting him sit would have been really bad. Yeah, I think it's better than I think letting him sit would have been better than trading him for nothing. But yep. um, yeah, yeah, ultimately those... just signing him was the best option. Yeah. Let's yep, signing him long term in my mind was the and there was a lot of pushback on this because my my argument throughout this process was. I would not ever offer him a one or two year deal. No, if that was what yeah, I, I totally done, agree. I'd let him sit. Yeah. Um, let's get off the top contract talk. We've talked about enough about that over the past five or six months. I'm sure no one else will cover it. <laughs> no, I think that we're probably, you're probably going to have exclusive Nylander's <laughs> contract talk. This will be really big coup for you. Yeah. yeah. So with Nylander coming back in what will probably be at least a week because he's got to get back, time zone change, conditioning stints and everything like that. It'll probably be, a, I would say, maybe Saturday you could see him come back by. But it's not like it really matters. No, uh, but yeah, Dubis was saying he had to go through a bunch of like physicals and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but um, who do you think gets sent down because they will have to send someone down? And who do you think gets bumped out of the lineup and becomes a healthy scratch? If I had to guess, you get sent down. I think it's probably Justin Hole. I agree. Um, he hasn't really played at all. My guess would be him or Marinson. I would think it'd be Hall because Marinson's played more. Yeah, yeah, he's actually been used as a 7D. It, ultimately, I think if, if, if Dubas is making the call, you probably would send Marinson down, but um, I, I don't like, I don't care about, about that. There, There's not that big enough difference between Marinson and, and Hall for Dubas, in my mind, to like to make that stand against Babcock, like, you have to pick your battles. Yeah. If Babcock prefers Marincin over Hall, then just leave just Hall because it. it's not the, the difference is not huge, and you're you're ultimately like every single time this little fringe roster decisions get made, you're gonna you're gonna always like stick your foot down and take the guy the, the coach's toys away when you don't even think there's that big of a difference. So yeah, I just say I just wave Hall. Yeah, there's a difference between a coach's toy being Martin Marinson as a seven D yep. and Roman Polak playing fifteen minutes a night. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And honestly, like I think if you send mm-hmm. either Hall or Marinson down, I think they probably have a chance of clearing. Obviously, it depends what happens. You know, maybe someone loses a D right before you do that, and they go, hey, we could claim them for a little bit. But I don't think teams are going to be lining up around the block to trade uh, claim Justin Hall off of waivers. Yeah. Right? Like, the reason why I think that especially is, is not likely is because Justin Hall has a two-year, one-way contract. So the team would have to pay him his full NHL salary both this year and next if they have to end up waiving him and putting him in the AHL. So if that team's not going to use him or he's going to be in the press box for them, they're not even going to bother. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I think both have a chance of clearing. Um, do you, so do you think uh, Frederick Gauthier stays up here as well? Uh, I think he stays just because he's not waiver eligible, and I think at this point he probably gets claimed. I also think Babcock likes to have extra centers, and I don't necessarily disagree with him. Gauthier's been way better than I thought he could be. This year, so I'd be totally fine with him staying up, but he'll be out of the lineup. He'll be in the press box because he is already. Since Matthews has come back, he's been sitting, but he's he hasn't been taken out of the lineup. Um, they'll they'll almost certainly sit a winger um, at this point. It's probably going to be Levo. I was going to say my next question was going to be Ennis or Levo for you guys. Hot take, Brown. Uh, that's what I would like to, but it's not going to happen. No, not and a chance it happens. Brown's been bad. Uh, there's been no big. I think we've run out of whipping boys at this point, so now we're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just kind of, I don't know, like, it, I hate being, like, this time, like, four years ago, I was a 100% stat guy, and I feel like this, the, I've become almost watch the game guy, and I hate that because I think it's really a dumb argument, but it's like, sometimes you watch Brown, and you're like, okay, no, I see why Babcock likes him, and I get he's probably not anywhere near as good as Babcock thinks he is, but... He does certain things that I'm like, okay, yeah. Like sometimes when a game is is tight or like I I need somebody to dig in, 
I am like, okay, put Brown and Hyman on the ice because you just need somebody to, to be able to like waste some time or go into the corners and get it. And that's not what your stars are going to be doing. And that's not what you want them to be doing. So I get why you'd have a guy like that, especially for the penalty kill. Like you're not going to put Levo in the penalty kill. Like that would be insane. So just, I, I'm fine with Brown in. I don't think it's like a huge difference. Again, it's one of those fringe moves where it's like, if you're going to be, digging your heels in over every like who gets to be your 12th forward versus your 13th forward like you're gonna be your hair's gonna be gray by the end of the season yeah what i want to kind of see and i mean i don't know if it'll happen i want to see like just a pure rotation like i know i know in hockey we always talk about going with the hot hand or whatever i would really like to just see babcock say okay levo you get two games then ennis you get two games then maybe brown sits a game then you know right like and just switch them in and out to keep Keep your legs fresh and just, like, just so if someone does get hurt, because the biggest problem I have with when Babcock sits guys for 25 games at a time, (laughs) it's not the play on the ice that they could be making a difference always. It's the fact that when someone has a freak injury and that person has to step in and play for a game or two, they haven't played in 25 games. So they're they're so cold, and I know yeah. like, it happened with Levo last year. He yeah. sat for a couple months, and then they threw him in, and, and he, people were like, "Why is he so bad?" It's like, well, practice can only do so much, yeah. right? So that's the kind of thing where it's like, even if you don't go every other game, like every four or five games, I'd like to see just get a mm-hmm. toss into the lineup, so you don't have a guy because, like, for example, like they're carrying eight D, so it probably wouldn't be a problem right now, anyways. But let's say two guys go down, and Justin Hall has to step in the lineup. I don't think he's going to do as good of a job as he could if he was playing every once in a while. But, I mean, and it's a little different because they have AD, but I just like to see a rotation of guys into the lineup and give a guy give guys a day off, right? Like, yeah. And I think because ultimately you see what happens in basketball where you sit your stars, and the stars in basketball have way more of an impact than in hockey. I think ultimately we will get to the point in hockey where bigger players, maybe not the top, like, Crosby guys are sitting, but, like, Let's say Nazem Kadri isn't feeling 100%. Why not sit him, move up someone to the third C, and just play Gauthier in, on the fourth line for a game? For right? one like, game, yeah. Yeah. What you're going to have to do, though, in hockey is you're going to have to institute that early. Like, while, when you're even when you're playing guys that probably don't even need the rest, like have Matthews be sitting a few games or Marner or Nyland or whatever, because the problem with not instituting it until the guy is actually older and needs it is then you're contesting with guys that have massive Ironman streaks. Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. It's just not worth pulling them out to have the psychological and and like human resource issues you cause by saying like, you know what? No, we're just gonna kill your Ironman streak, <laughs> yeah. even though you're not hurt and you've been playing fine. No, I I agree with that, and I just think that like, yeah, like I I think that if you start like, you it can't now, Patrick no, right now. no, no, like, no. I, I'm sorry, everyone who thinks that you can do that, but you might as well just buy him out and pay out his 35 plus contract because you're you're gonna wreck him if you do that yeah you you can't have a guy who's who's on like a 750 game ironman streak hasn't missed a game in 10 years and then you said hey it's your rest day today yeah you're it's never gonna fly no you definitely gotta you definitely gotta start that young or with the bottom line players right because like someone like josh levo or tyler ennis or even Nazem Kadri, they're not going to have a massive Iron Man streak right now, anyways, right? Like, oh. I mean, Kadri missed games because of suspension from the playoffs <laughs> last year, so. Yeah, Kadri can do it, no problem. Yeah. It's just guys like Marlowe. No, I think when yeah. Anyone, anytime anyone says that, that's kind of who they have in mind. Yeah. Is, hey, Marlowe is looking pretty gassed. Maybe we should give him a couple games off, but, like, literally everyone in that room. Furious yeah. with you if you just really wrecked a guy's and if seven hundred plus game Iron Man. Yeah, and if he got injured and had to miss a couple games and then came back, and then I yeah. think yeah, then I think you could start doing that for sure. Totally. But yeah, you're Absolutely. definitely not gonna because he's at what like seven hundred or something now. Yeah, he hasn't missed a game it, it, like since before the lockout. Yeah, it's, it's like insane. Almost, almost ten years. Yeah, so yeah, you definitely can't pull him out. But just in general, like in the bottom bottom half of that lineup, like they make such a little little impact. They do make impact, but. For a lot of the guys, it's not a huge gap. That's so just giving them a, a break here and there, and get letting your guys who are in the press box get their feet underneath them. I think wouldn't be a terrible idea, especially guys like Matthews who have already had a few tweaks and injuries. That it's just like you might as well like take take it off. We need you for the playoffs. Man. Exactly. Yeah. Like especially when you're not in a fight for a playoff spot, right? Like it's not like they're sure. the eight seed eight seed team right now or anything. They're they're yeah. top of the league. 
the only risk for the Leafs in, in doing this and why I can see them not wanting to is that they've found themselves all of a sudden in this juggernaut of a division where mm-hmm. the top three teams in the league are all in the Atlantic. So you'll ne- if you're doing that, the argument would be you're never going to win the division if <clears throat> other teams are playing their stars and you're not. So yeah. even if, even let's say they are less equipped to enter the playoffs, like they say Tampa doesn't do that and Leafs do and Tampa walks into the playoffs with guys that aren't as fresh, that's more than made up for the fact that they're now playing, I don't know, Carolina, who's eighth, and the Leafs have to play the third place team. Yeah, it definitely the playoff system is you have to think about it. I would not mind playing Buffalo in the first round, though. Yeah, they are kind of top heavy, like they're one line, but they are they're quick, and I could see, I could see just them getting up for that game. Like I, the yeah. Buffalo, imagine how much they would love to beat Toronto. I would really oh, like yeah. to see it. I just don't. I don't even think Buffalo is going to finish three in this division. I think they. I think they have had a good enough start here, especially with that 10-game win streak, that they could definitely make a playoff spot easy. It's just they've played... They've had so much luck over that 10-game yeah. win streak. Like, they won of seven of the games in overtime yeah. or something like that. Like, that's insane. Yeah, here's all that I'll say to that, though, is that they're, they're five points ahead of Austin. So it's, there's going to be ground to clear. Like, they, they would For have sure. to have a, a noticeable, sure. tangible decline. I think they will, not though. Just, like, like, I not don't... quite play it. I don't know, I could definitely see it, but yeah, like, just overall, I think that, I don't know, it'll be interesting. I don't think Buffalo is near as good as they're looking right now. Mm-hmm. I do think it, they are much better than we've seen them be in past years, which is great for them, because that's alone a massive improvement yes. from being, like, last year, I feel like people forget, they finished dead last last year. Dead last. Yeah, yeah they did. Like, 30 for, they were horrible, and this yeah. year they're now the third best team in the league, and even if they're punching over their head a little bit, they're a playoff contender. And that's oh, that's yeah. the that's the jump the Leafs saw when they got Matthews. And I know Buffalo's been tanking for a little longer, but still, like that's a great improvement, and you want to see that if you're Buffalo. And that Ryan O'Reilly trade isn't going to look nearly as bad if the Blues end up giving them like the 10th uh, pick or yep. something. And I mean, it's lottery protected, but I mean... But yeah, but only in the top ten, right? Right. So, it, so yeah, like so if they if they have the tenth pick, do, do the Blues risk it and risk giving them a higher pick next year? Yeah. So it'll yeah, like it'll definitely be interesting. Like top five, they're gonna do exactly what Ottawa did. Yeah. And just hope best. Or if the but Blues if like tenth. Yeah. If the if the Blues bring back Jake Allen and Net next year, <laughs> do they finish fifth last again and then give them a good there pick anyways? Go. Right. So. Um, how have you thought in post decision? What have you thought about the? Ottawa's decision to keep it and take Kachuk. I still think it was the wrong move. I was debating some people about this the other day. I will say Brady Kachuk has played five times better than I thought he would be. He has impressed me, and I've loved watching him. That being said, they're punching over their head right now. Quote on like people people admit that they've gotten off to a way better start than they expected, and they're still like seventh last. Like and their their shot share numbers are horrible to look at. They're like bottom of the league in both expected goals and uh, shot attempt differential. They're bleeding high danger and just chances in general, and they've got a high shooting percentage. Basically, thank God for Anaheim, or they would be dead last in the league. Yeah, in a whole and bunch it, of I mean, they're, they've, yeah, they've jumped teams like Philly and Florida <clears throat> who struggled, but at the same time, like, like I don't, I don't know. I Maybe regression just doesn't set in until next season when they have their first round pick again. But at the same time, like the thing they're doing, they're doing all of this with Brady Kajuk being a key contributor. You still probably can't convince me that this team wouldn't be a bottom team if they would have just kept the pick for this season. Like I, I don't know. I think they would have been in real good position to get a top three pick this year. But we'll have to see. You know, I'm not. I don't like trusting regression to not sit in. But you know what? If they shoot at the top of the league somehow for the entire season and then hit regression next year, I'd be okay with that because that means we don't we likely don't give frap Jack Hughes to the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, if you, if one of Hughes or, or Kako. Uh, Kako yeah ends up yeah, it'll be a sad day in Ottawa. Yeah, for sure. So I mean I never am someone who likes to just hope that they can go on a PDO yeah. binge for the entire year, but at, at this point you just kinda hope that even just getting, you know, the the tenth overall pick or something saves a little bit of face compared to what it could be. But 
Yeah, it's funny because the like the Blues could ultimately end up almost repeating if 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 in fact they are bad, and I honestly still have no idea how they're bad this year. Yeah, but if in fact they are bad, they could end up basically repeating what Ottawa just did because yep. it, same situation almost where O'Reilly's gone in and he's he's been great as Duchesne has been great. Um, but it, like if you look at it, if you, if they give up a pick in the like top five range it's like yep you would never make that trade knowingly yeah well you know what you know another team that's like that the san jose sharks i was yeah. tweeting about this yesterday i don't have as much faith as them to just completely fall off a cliff but so ottawa has their pick for next season because buffalo has their first rounder this season yeah so next if carlson leaves in the off season and they bring back Martin Jones and Ned, who I don't like at all. And he's signed long term. Yeah, so, so they probably fun. will. And they have their whole core is like thirty two and above. <laughs> they're gonna see some age regression. I'm not saying that they're gonna completely fall off the map and be a bottom two team, but they have. But they're someone I'm gonna keep my eye on, especially because obviously Ottawa has the pick. But as someone who again gave up their first rounder over a year in advance, and it might hurt them. It might hurt them. Gave up. Two in a row. Yeah. 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 So, and like, I you think... You don't want to be a team that never picks in the first round. No. And I think it's fair if you can get Eric Carlson to go for it. What I would say is yeah. they just didn't need to sign Evander Kane for six years. Because that's why they gave up the yeah. first to Buffalo. Like... They didn't give up much for Carlson, honestly. No, they didn't. And, like, like I don't... Mellow, man. <laughs> I don't have a problem yeah. with that. But yeah. it's... You know, you could have let Evander Kane walk, replace him with a cheaper player... Or even half of him with a cheaper player, not have his contract on the books going forward, and not have to worry about not having a first next year. Yeah, like, I don't think they intended to keep him. He was just so damn good. Yeah, but I, and then you're just paying for playoff, playoff production, success. which is never. Yeah, yeah I don't it hasn't know. even been bad. It's just like you no, know, he's the been fine. Of where they are, yeah. As as an organization, you look at all your players, not just Kane. You say, okay, well, you know what? Our average age of our team is like. 30 the league is going younger and we're getting older yeah should be knowing even if we think Kane is worth this money which he's probably on the bubble of being worth that money just based on him being UFA or whatnot but you gotta just look at your team and say is this are we the team that should be signing a guy like this especially considering it costs us a first round pick yeah I totally agree with that I'm It'll be interesting to watch them. I wonder if that's something teams go for more often, though, where you try to get the first-round pick of a team you think might fall off a cliff. It could be, yeah. It's an interesting idea. It's so yeah. hard in the NHL, though, because, again... Yeah, like, how do you bet on? It's like you <laughs> see all the time just a year of luck. And that and people say that's stupid, but it, yeah. literally you can have a year of luck that puts you from a 31st-place team to a 15th-place yeah. team in the league. But like, the worst-case scenario yeah, is... You that, Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, the worst case scenario is then you're stuck with a 15th yeah. overall pick instead of yeah, a first, it's, it's which is still horrible, fine. But. Well, imagine you snagged, like, New Jersey's pick um, two years ago or something like that. You, you said, okay, like, we want your first round pick this year, and then they end up going on and making the playoffs, and it's, like, more or less a blip because then this year they're, they're uh, bad again. dead last in the Metro. <laughs> You'd be so mad. <laughs> you're, just, you're just like... We give up a good player to get the first round pick for New Jersey, which we banked on being insanely high, and then they have one good year, and then they're back to being bad. So it's like those kind of things uh, to Alex's point. Like, there's just these weird blip years in the NHL because there's so much parity that the, it isn't totally within their realm of possibilities that one of the worst teams in the league has a season where they look very, very good. Well, look at Ottawa. They were like one goal away from the cup finals, and they were not yeah. a good team yeah. when they did it. No. Yeah, exactly. I guess I have one more point on Nylander. I was going to ask, what do you think the top six looks like for lines? It's there's two um, there's two ways, and I just have one more thing on Nylander too after this. But there's there's two ways I could look at it, and I don't know which would be better. And I'd like them to try both. The first is they really stack those top two lines. They leave Kapanen on the top line, and they leave him on his strong wing. And the reason I say that is because. Kapanen's major value is his ability to break out out of the neutral zone for uh, or out of the his own zone into the neutral zone for a breakaway, and that's easier to do if you're on your strong side. So I leave him on his strong side. I put Nylander on the left wing with Matthews and Kapanen so he can take advantage of one timers, and I really stack that line. And then I have the top two lines of uh, Nylander, Matthews, Kapanen. Hyman, Tavares, and Marner, and you just let the other team decide who they want to contend with, who they want to put their their top pair on. 
Um, the second option, and this is maybe the one I lead to more because it gives you more balance, um, is you do something with Janssen on the left wing with Matthews and then Uander on his right. And then you have the second line untouched of Hyman, Tavares, Marner. And the third line then becomes Marlowe, Kadri, Kapanen. So in doing that, I think you give yourself two first lines and a second line. And in the first option, I think you give yourself two first lines and your one first line is insane. And then a third line and then a fourth line. Yeah, I think either of them could work. The, the fun thing about the lease is unless you're playing uh, Connor Brown and Zach Hyman with Austin yeah. Matthews, there's no real way to go about this lineup that is going to be super wrong, yeah. right? Like, you can plug and play almost um, however you want, and it'll likely be pretty solid. Like Because at, at, at any point, if Kadri's your 3C and you have four of Nylander, Matthews, uh, Marner, and Tavares as or f- as four of your top six forwards, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It, it'll definitely be to interesting. Your, to your point about playing Hyman with, with Matthews, I've liked Hyman so much better with Tavares and Marner. Than I, I agree. Matthews. Yeah, I think it's just a better fit, and that's, I, I don't know that this bears out or could even bear out in the numbers. But the idea that the Babcock always talks about about oh, Hyman goes and gets the puck and gets it out to the front of the net isn't really true because he does displace the player from the puck, but he doesn't often come away with the puck. Yeah, someone else. So someone else oftentimes that. has to come and get it for him, and mm-hmm. then he is a contributor in the rest of the play in terms of getting it to the person in front of the net. But when he was with Matthews and Nylander, Nylander isn't going to come and dig for the puck out, out and help Hyman out in the corner. So it meant that that had to be Matthews, which meant that then Matthews is, is having to get away from the net front, go get the puck, come back out. And then at that point, like Hyman is out of the play completely. Yeah. Whereas when he's with, with Tavares and Marner, Marner absolutely will come and get the puck, which means that then you've got the puck on the stick of your best passer and you're shooting it to net front to Tavares, one of your best shooters. So it just makes so much more sense. You've got the guy that displaces the puck, you've got the guy that goes and gets the puck, and you've got the shooter in the places that they want to be. Whereas when he was with Matthews, you had your shooter having to go and collect the puck from Hyman and then shoot it himself or pass it to Nylander or whatnot. So it just it didn't make sense logically in my head. And even though I still think that Hyman is like a third-line player from the definition of a third-liner, I think he is very effective in this particular role, which is displacing the puck for Marner to come and retrieve. Yeah, I totally agree. Chase, yeah. do you have anything on that? No. I I don't know. I just want to see them load up the top six. I don't even know if it'd be smart, but I think it'd be just so just, fun to just see. Just for a game or two, yeah. see what it looks like. Yeah. Dumb and fun is totally a reasonable <laughs> situation for the yeah. loser. Um, that's probably, we're probably good. We were going to mention yeah, Tom one, Wilson. One more thing I wanted to speak nope. to um, Go for it. on the Nylander situation, and it kind of speaks to the Marner situations because there's some things I've been seeing um, on Twitter as of late. One of the major ones being, how did a team not offer sheet Nylander if this is all that it cost, basically? Like, you could have you could have pushed the lease beyond their comfort zone by offer sheeting him, and then also, well, now that this is done, every team in the league is going to offer sheet Marner and Matthews, yada, yada, yada. And I just wanted to get a sense from you guys. Is, do you think that's likely and what you kind of think of offer sheets in general? I don't think it's likely at I all. I don't think so either. Offer sheets are something that everyone likes to talk about and no NHL team ever, ever does. Yeah. Well, same, even like, uh, so Nylander would be nice to offer sheet at just, a, say you give him 7.25 or whatever, that's more than you got. But the amount of teams that have cap space to sign Nylander because of the inflated cap hit for year one is a list that's four teams long. Also, also just like the compensation too. Like it's not for some of them it's not huge, but you need your own picks. Yeah, well it's the Islanders, Avalanche, New Jersey, and Colorado. The Avalanche are the only team out of that that I would be comfortable walking away from my first round pick this year. Yeah. Yep. So and that's that's the, that's the thing though is that yeah that you would be unlikely to want to give it up but it's also so low in terms of the volume of picks and the likelihood that they turn into something good that no team's ever not going to match it. So yeah. yeah. When, you, when you're doing offer sheets and this honestly I think offer sheets are dumb and I'm I'm not necessarily saying that they won't happen for Marner and Matthews because I think Marner especially is the type of player that a team will get dumb for. 
like they will just offer way more than they should and, and give yes. a four first round picks for well, him. Yeah. That, and I think that's fine. That might happen, but I don't necessarily think it should happen. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a big tendency with Twitter especially, but even like the smarter people on Twitter basically saying like GMs are dumb or GMs are chicken to not want to offer sheet and you should definitely do it. It's a good way to get talent, but I don't think offer sheets make any sense for teams you should not be trying to do them because your expected return is nothing. You should always, based on history and based on the compensation that the other team gets, you should expect that the team will match and you will get nothing. And the only advantage to it is you've screwed over your opponent, but that helps everyone in the league. And if you're not even in that division with that opponent, does it even help you really at all? Like, yeah, if you're the Avalanche, you do this to the least. So that you offer seven and a half, let's say, for Nylander, and they match. Congratulations, you've screwed them over. Now, when you sign Miko Ran, then there's a seven and a half million dollar yep. Nylander comp. In you the have, yeah, you so have to sign them to that. Amazing salaries. Exactly. Yeah, I would say there is a very niche scenario. Like when Nikita Kucherov's making four point eight. Like, yeah, I'd give him seven way back when but like i don't but, know but they would have they would have, they would have matched it that's yeah thing, right? but that's more reasonable than giving nylander seven and a half instead of 6.9 or like when mark stone's making 7.5 and you know the owner's not gonna want to pay him long term give him eight and something you know like yeah sure. like there are super niche scenarios but in general i see why they're not used all the time like people yeah. like to think they should be well it's even just for depth players like Let's say you sign a guy to a like a four million dollar contract. And it's just a second round pick in compensation. They're gonna, yeah. ma- they're probably gonna match that. And if they're not, as you said, it's just gonna improve what your guys want because you go absolutely. You go okay, like I'm pretty comparable to this guy, and you were willing to give him four million. Why are you only offering me two point five or three or yeah, whatever? Yeah. Right. So yeah, like if you it's give raise the whole market. Yeah. Like every single RFA is gonna say, well, this is now out there, and that's what that guy got, and I'm as good or better than him. So give me that number, or like if you're the team that did the offer sheet. You especially are going to have to pay more because now they know your personal willingness to go to a certain number. So if if you they won't give that number to you, they have to say to you, "I think you're worse than that guy." Like if you're ranting and you say, "Well, I you offered Nylander eight, let's say," yeah, you're certainly not giving me eight and a half. Yeah, like I I've got uh, double his points of this. Like it, it, I, I'm going to double his points on on pace for his highest season. And you're going to tell me that that I'm not worth just five hundred thousand dollars more. So it's it's crazy to me that anyone would think a GM should be doing this. I know it's fun and it's something it'd be it's interesting to see, especially if you're a team that hates the Leafs and you just want other GMs to screw them. But it doesn't make sense in the long term. No, like it, if you're if you're offer sheeting and you're a GM, you're so short sighted. Yeah, it's not realistic, and I mean. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. Yeah, I, I do agree. Like, there are definitely much better arguments against it than you would think if you just browsed Twitter and yeah. saw people talking about them. Yeah, well, people basically act like it's just fear of, re- of retribution. And they're like, and the retribution never comes because ultimately it's like, look at look at the Ottawa situation where the Sharks completely screwed them by flipping Hoffman for more than they gave them. They went, hey, back. here's Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but then they trade for Carlson, and you figure it out, right? Like, you'll, you'll ultimately, it comes down to, hey, what's the best deal? This guy screwed me, whatever. I'll just make sure that I tighten up that deal going forward. I'll make sure I put a, a stipulation in that he can't tra- trade Carlson to back to the East. Or else yep. So, yeah, I totally agree so, with that. So yeah. So that argument, yeah, of course. But that's not, that's, retribution is the least of my words. No. If I yeah. off for a, a player that's young. It's presumably similar to some young players that I have an insane value way above his comps to screw just to screw that team. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's if almost you think you always going to hurt you. It's probably worth it, but you shouldn't think that. That's the other thing is the player actually has to sign them. That too. Like, yeah. why would Nealander sign a contract with the Islanders if they were trying to offer sheet him? Well, it depends on the value, I suppose. Yeah, like, I guess. If but, they offer him two mil more than what the Leafs are, but like... Fair, but they would have to overpay. Like, if you're yeah. the Islanders, you have to overpay yeah. Nylander to get him over the Leafs. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That if it's over, for the way offer sheets <clears> work, is that if it's over a five-year deal, you calculate the value, divided, the total value of the contract divided by five. So either Nylander has to agree to a five-year deal, or 
the team that's signing them has to agree that they're going to compensate the Leafs based on the total value of the contract divided by five. So if you offered him like a seven and a half times eight, you're probably giving up four first round picks for that. Mm -hmm. Because if you take the total value of the contract yeah. times seven, but then divide it by over five years, and I get no one, not everyone's going to read the CBA. Like that's that's just a weird perversion that I have, I guess. <laughs> but it, like you can't you can't just assume that everything that GMs can do is because they're chicken or bad or yeah. old boys club whatever. Because the old boys club is shrinking. Like how many of the GMs that are currently in the league would you say are these like old white haired dudes that are uh, talking all the time and going out with the boys to the pond and like it's not it's not that anymore. Like, it's definitely less. Yeah, and you can it's feel it's sure. changing. Yeah, like, and yeah. even though even the ones that do have that old boys club, if you will also have someone who's not an old boys club as like an assistant GM or something yeah. like that, right? Like there's very few yeah. organizations <laughs> that are purely just like former players like it used to be. Like Edmonton's still like that because Edmonton's gonna Edmonton. Yeah. But And it's worked out great for them. <laughs> but um <laughs> But even like even like Joe Sackett, let's say, you could you could definitely say he's like old boys club because he's in the he's a former player or whatever, but like He's he's uh, relatively young. Like he's got uh, he's got an experienced staff with him, and he's made moves that you would definitely not consider to be like risk averse. Yeah, like for sure. Making three way trades, trading away his top line center with two years left on the deal, and collecting picks and prospects with a team that was making the playoffs only two years earlier. Like that's not an old boys club move. Well, also it's an old boys club guy. So like, you can't you can't just assume that. The teams aren't doing something because they're they're dumb or they're they're they don't have as much CPA knowledge as we do because there's very good reason not to do things. And the to Sackick specifically, like they also hired Dawson Spriggings, who was was right. like Twitter's king nerd for <laughs> a pretty long time. Like that yeah. doesn't sound like an old boys club yeah. move at all. Like if you look at his old. Uh, articles and stuff you can find all of them except for his war model so i'm willing to bet that means colorado is looking at that yeah which is not an old boys yeah, club it, move it's at definitely all. a new way of thinking even if it's someone who you would put with the old boys club in terms of yeah. who they are totally yeah but yeah it's just like uh, my pet peeve with author offer sheets because every time i see someone it's it's generally very smart people who, who take this position that teams are just chicken and that they should take notes from other leagues and they should be making huge offer sheets and trying it because the worst case scenario is you hurt your opponent but that's very obviously not the worst case scenario the worst case scenario is you hurt your opponent today and then you hurt yourself when your own players use those new high AAVs as comps it's just it's it's weird to me that the, the common sentiment now is that that we should just be offer sheeting and and that that's like the new, it's like the new sexy thing to do. But it's, I, I find it so dumb. If you're, if you're a team, you should almost to the point of colluding, be not doing any offer sheet ever. Yeah, I, I would I agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, that's probably good. We were going to touch on Tom Wilson, but I think we can just say he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Leave it there. I, what I will say about that though is I. I don't think it was a head hit. I don't either. I think it was shoulder. Yeah, I think it was shoulder, and then he made contact with the head, which technically yeah. isn't an illegal head hit. No. However, no. people are acting like you can't suspend for a blatant behind, like from the back <laughs> yeah. interference exactly. call. Like, it was a late hit from behind. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying give him 20 games, but you're telling me that you can't. You can suspend him 20 games for a head hit, but you can't suspend him two for a yeah. insanely well, late hit and from their, behind. Their argument was that the match penalty was good enough, but the problem no. is. The problem that. is a match penalty in minor hockey comes with, like, a six-game suspension on top of it automatically, yeah. whereas, like, they're treating the match penalty like it was a major penalty, and it's just that game. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Also, the other defense I saw was, like, it was a split-second thing, yeah. but, like, people need to realize you get to the NHL because you can make split-second yeah. decisions, well, not because you can't. Did you see Alex Tangay absolutely ripping him on the NHL network? I didn't see oh, that. So, yeah, Alex Tangay, I guess he works, I think it's for the NHL Network, and he pretty much did a video. He's like, he, he stopped it right when the guy got rid of the puck, and it was Wilson at the blue line, and he had about 5, 10 feet. And he's like, this is a lifetime for an NHL yeah. player to move out of the way. He has so much space, and he still hits them. So, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. I and think this is not a guy you're giving the benefit of. No, not at all. No, no, no not at all. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. He's, he's an idiot. 
Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Um, Twitter mostly. I uh, I sometimes write for TLN when uh, when I'm bored and I can trick Adam into po- posting something I put up. But uh, mostly just Twitter at uh, totally underscore offside. Um, sometimes I call myself Todd, but you can find <laughs> me at my handle. Yep. Uh, thank you for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have to have you on again in the future. This is our longest one yet. This is definitely our longest podcast yet. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta bump up the, the, the half an hour pods and not my cup of tea. No? Well, we, we no, figured we'd start got... small so uh, we'd get some right. viewership, right? You don't want to start with the, the hour and something long, but maybe we'll try and go yeah. longer. Just a hockey degenerate just looking for <laughs> yeah. constant content. So. Yeah. There's only so much you can talk about some weeks, too. Like We can, we can only stretch out uh, Veseline and go into the KHL for so long. <laughs> Yeah, you're talking to a guy that spent the last, like, three months talking about the minutia of Nylander's contract <laughs> yeah. negotiation. I had so many people in my DMs telling me to stop, and I was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. No, get this until this is over. I'm glad you were out there fighting the don't bridge deal and fight the whole time. Yeah. I didn't have oh, the energy yeah. to fight alongside you, but I'm, I'm glad you did. Oh, Same yeah, with yeah. the... Thanks for leaving me out on that boat, buddy. <laughs> Same with the it's a holdout deal. Uh, with that, we'll, oh, uh, yeah. we'll see you guys later. You can find this, obviously, at lastwordonhockey.com, along with all my writing, or on Twitter, NHL Sends and Stuff, Chase is CMHockey66, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks.